Good morning, church. Good to see you. Good to be with you and uh, appreciate so much the uh, invitation that Bryce extended to me to come and, and share a message with you. Um, well, there's not much to hide behind here, is there, Bryce? Um, you know, I, I had a, an opportunity of spending it's about the last five years with Bryce. He and I started our uh, doctoral journey together. We entered in at the same time. We had our first class and then all those subsequent classes afterwards together. And I have just really grown to uh, be fond of Bryce. We've had a lot of time together down on Bill Street. I mean, uh, watching the Grizzlies play on Bill Street. Now, we, we had a good time. But, I, you know, getting to know Bryce in class and being able to, you know, see his, um, you know, his unique approach to the Scriptures, his love for God and the Scriptures, his love for ministry, his, uh, his insight into the Scriptures. I just really uh, appreciate him and, uh, and seeing his love for you, this congregation. I know that you are highly blessed to have him here as a minister, just as I am highly blessed to be able to have him as, as a friend. And uh, I do appreciate the introduction. I think that's the first time I've ever been acknowledged as Dr. Glenn Kinnabe since I graduated a year ago. So it feels kind of good. Thank you for that. And so, Bryce, you might want to get out and guest speak in other places. You might have some of that recognition, too. I think Jesus says something about prophet is uh, not without honor except in his hometown. Is that right? So... Anyway, good to be with you this morning. You know, it, it's really, and it's an honor to be here, and really my prayer would be, you know, that you are encouraged, that you are uplifted by, by being here and, and sharing this time together, and really it would be my hope and prayer that you know Jesus in your life, even if you already know Him. I would hope and pray that maybe through our time together this morning that you would even appreciate him and grow to closer to him even as we as we go through this lesson. Now this this lesson it does come from a series of lessons that I presented at another congregation in which I was looking at God's grace through the scriptures. Started in the Old Testament, made my way through the New Testament where Jesus comes as God in the flesh, full of grace and truth as John tells us. And so what I did is I looked at several encounters that sinful man had with a merciful, gracious God. And, and one thing, if you were to do a study like that, one thing that you would find really is, is, is that you would realize is that grace doesn't change from one testament to another. Whether it's in the Old Testament or the New Testament, grace is grace. And, and most people kind of see a, a disconnect between the Old and the New Testaments, but really they are very intricately entwined. And so if you have your Bibles with you this morning, and, and I do hope that you will, will open your Bibles with you this morning. If you don't have a Bible or if there's not one on the pew, then, then grab your phone, look on Bible Hub or something, and go through these passages with me because that really is going to be able to help you to explore these Scriptures with me. One of the things that I love to do when I teach and one of the things that I love to do when I study is finding these connections in the Bible. And that's what I kind of want to share with you this morning, and I hope that you will explore that with me and experience that even as I did um, when I experienced this. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to look at several passages 
and, and I hope you'll, you'll follow through with me. In, in, in Romans 15, verse 4, the Bible tells us that everything was written in the past was written for our learning. It was written to teach us. What was it teaching us? What, what was it pointing to? Maybe a better question would be, who is it teaching us about? Who is it pointing us to? That which was written in the past, the Old Testament scriptures point to Jesus. And as Jesus began his ministry with the Sermon on the Mount, he says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. In other words, they go hand in hand. Matter of fact, you know, Paul describes Old Testament in uh, the Old Testament in his letter to the Galatians like this. He says it, it's a guardian or a tutor, if you will, a schoolmaster who basically takes care of us until Christ came. And when Jesus says, I came to fulfill the law and the prophets, that's exactly what he meant. And so I, I want us this morning to kind of show you a powerful way in which, as the screen says, Jesus changes everything. And I want to do that by looking at two events, one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament. And so as we begin, I want to begin in Romans chapter 6 and look with me at verse 23. And I want to start here because what we're about to study, I think, is probably the most powerful illustration of this verse that I have ever seen. Romans chapter 6 verse 23, I'm sure it's a familiar verse to all of you, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, that verse itself is a testimony to the fact that Jesus changes everything. In, in reading in the beginning, we see how sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and completely changed the perfection of God's creation, if you will. It affected everything and it brought death. And that's the world that we still live in. So life comes, or just as sin entered through one man, so life comes by one man, the Son of God, Jesus. He is the gift of God, and He turns it all around. Not, as, not only does He restore life, but He brings eternal life. So let's keep this verse in mind as we go through our study this morning. So I want us to go back to the Old Testament. Let's look at this event in the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 19. In Exodus 19, the Israelites are meeting with God on Mount Sinai. Many of you are familiar with the story, but I just want to take a couple of minutes here to kind of, you know, familiarize you with the, with the stage and, 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 and set the stage that is taking place. As God began to work in the world, and He began to clean up the mess that sin brought, He appeared to a man by the name of Abraham, and to Abraham, God makes a promise. And basically, he says to Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And Abraham, all people on earth are going to be blessed through you. And it was a promise to bring a Savior into the world through Abraham's descendants. And as you study the descendants of Abraham, it was a pretty shady group of character, these descendants of Abraham were. Nevertheless, God worked with them. God worked through them, just as He promised. 
And God had told Abraham that his descendants were going to be enslaved a little over 400 years in the land of Egypt, but that God himself would lead them out and would give them the land of Canaan. God did exactly what he said he would do. And it happened just as God said it would happen. And through a man by the name of Moses, God led Abraham's descendants, the Israelites, out of the land of Egypt. That event was such a big deal that the second book of the Bible is named after it, Exodus, a going out. And in a series of ten plagues, each one getting more severe than the last, God showed his ultimate power over all of the false gods of Egypt. And by the time the last plague came upon Egypt, Egypt all but begged the Israelites to leave and get out of town. All of this had a purpose, though. Because what God was doing was using the Israelite history of becoming a nation to literally remind them of all that God had done for them. And so God used these different events in their history to establish festivals, special holidays, special feasts. And they were reminders of their beginning, beginnings, reminders of their dependence, if you will, upon, upon God. For example, the last plague on the Egyptians was the death of the firstborn. You remember that plague? And so, you know, the firstborn of every household was dying. The Israelites were instructed to take a one-year-old lamb. They were to slaughter it at twilight and take that blood and put it on the top and the sides of the doors. And so when God's angel saw the blood on the doorpost, he would pass over that house and those inside would be protected from the plague. And every year... The Israelites were to remember that night, the night that God freed them from slavery in the festival of the Passover. And of course, the significance of that festival, it's still felt with us today as we gather around Christ this morning and as we commune with Him and and remember our Passover lamb and His body and His blood that was shed for us. That covers us and it protects us. And so the Israelites left Egypt. The Passover marked their freedom from slavery. God led them by a pillar of fire at night, by a pillar of cloud during the day, right up to the place that we are here now in Exodus chapter 19. And so I'd like to read beginning, if you'd like to follow along, Exodus chapter 19 beginning at verse 1. On the first day of the third month, after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai, And after they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountains. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession." Although the earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. And so just as uh, God says this, he's preparing a a people to be his own, his treasured possession, a, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And so God is about to meet with his people here at Sinai. And so God tells Moses what to do in order to prepare the people for this particular meeting. And so he says here in verse 10, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people, consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day, because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai inside of all the people. 
And just as God said, he descends on the mountain to meet with Moses and to meet with the people. And notice what happens in this particular event. Again, in Exodus 19, beginning at verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Everyone trembled, even Moses. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. And the whole mountain trembled violently as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. It's an awesome experience to be a part of that. And then in chapter 20, beginning in verse 1, God spoke all of these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall, make, you shall not make for yourself an image. Verse 7, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Verse 8, remember the Sabbath. Keep it holy. Verse 12, honor your father and mother. Verse 13 and following, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not covet. The Ten Commandments. And God came down to meet with the Israelites and He said to them, I am your God. You will be my people. You will be my, my treasured possession. And these are the guidelines of what you need to do. This is how you as my people need to behave. And so in giving His law, the, the Torah to the Israelites, the nation of Israel and Judaism was born. God entered into a covenant with them. And the people said, we will do everything the Lord has said. God's giving of His law to the Israelites happened according to the Israelite tradition and history. It happened 50 days after they left Egypt. It's also celebrated as a festival, but it's not quite as well known as Passover is. It's actually called Shavat. Now, in the Old Testament, it's known as the Festival of the Harvest or the Festival of Weeks. Shavat, by the way, is the Hebrew word for weeks. And so, the festival of Shavat is to begin seven weeks after the start of Passover. Now, if you look at this from just reading in the Old Testament, you, you kind of get the idea that Shavat, or the festival of weeks, is really an agricultural holiday marking the crops beginning to, to ripen and, and the first fruit of those crops giving as a sacrifice to God. But the festival was significant enough that according to Deuteronomy chapter 16, it became one of the three major festivals in which all men of Israel to, were to appear before God. You see, there was much more to this holiday than just giving thanks to God for the first fruits of the land. It was celebrating the very day that God gave His law to His people. And so it's seen as a, as a marriage day when God took the Israelites as His own and, and entered into a covenant with them. Now, in the New Testament, we know this festival is something else. Because Shavuot began the day seven, after seven weeks were counted off from the beginning of Passover, total of 50 days, 
The Greek translators of the Old Testament call this day Pentecost. And so if you would turn over with me now to the New Testament, and let's go to the book of Acts. Now, the word Pentecost is actually only used three times in the New Testament. Two of them are just a reference to the time of year in Paul's travels. But one of them has a great amount of significance attached to it, and it's the one found here in Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. Look at it with me as I read, beginning in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all those who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygeria and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. And amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? This is happening on the day of Pentecost, Shabbat. And this takes place when? 50 days after Passover. Passover and Pentecost, Shabbat, are two of the major festivals that the Jews were supposed to travel to Jerusalem and appear before God. And you can see from Acts chapter 2, verses 5 and following, there were God-fearing Jews in Jerusalem from every nation on this particular festival. Fifty days before this, they were celebrating the Passover. You know, remembering the day when they were freed from the physical bondage of slavery to the Egyptians, and now here with Shabbat on the day of Pentecost, they're celebrating the day God entered into covenant with them and gave them their law. Now, look particular at verse 12, Acts chapter 2, verse 12. Those Jews from all nations of the world hear the apostles speaking in their own language. That's what verses 6 and 7 were telling us. But verse 12 says, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? It's a good question. Let's talk about that. What does this mean? Well, in the Gospels, 50 days before the Pentecost described in chapter 2 was the Passover. It was during the Passover that Jesus went to the cross, of course, and died for our sins. And we celebrated that with the Lord's Supper this morning. And according to the Gospel of John, Jesus is our Passover lamb who died on the cross in our place to free us. Not from physical slavery, but freedom from the spiritual slavery to sin in our lives. And both Peter and Paul pick up on that in their writings as well. So first Passover and now Pentecost or Shabbat. The same day on which God gave the people His law. So I want us to notice what happens in the New Testament on this day, excuse me, the Old Testament on this day, and what happens in the New Testament 
on this day. And I'm, I'm going to ask you to keep your Bibles open here to Acts chapter 2. And I want to look at a couple of verses as we go along and compare them to what was read in Exodus chapter 19 and 20 just a couple of minutes ago. In Exodus 19 on Shabbat, 50 days after Passover, God descends on Mount Sinai in fire with loud sounds. The mountain trembled, and as the trumpet blast got louder and louder. In Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, you notice that the people heard a loud noise, and it sounded like the blowing of a violent wind, and God descended down on His people in fire. Tongues of fire came and sat on each one of them. In Exodus 20, the first 17 verses, God gave them the Ten Commandments. God is telling them, this is how you are to be my people. This is God making the old covenant with the people. In Acts chapter 2, look at verses 37 and 38. This is God telling the people in Acts how to be His people. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is God making a new covenant with us. In Exodus 19, verses 3 through 6, it tells us that the old covenant was for the descendants of Jacob's uh, people, Abraham's grandson, the descendants of Jacob. In Acts chapter 2, in verse 39, the new covenant is for everyone. The promise is for you, for your children, for all who are far off, for all whom our Lord, our God, will call. Mark your book here in Acts. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Peter for just a second to look at the next one. 1 Peter chapter 2. I mentioned Peter picks up on this in some of his writings. We're going to come back to Acts in just a moment, so be sure to mark that. In Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6, in the Old Covenant, God tells the Israelites they will be His chosen possession. Kingdom of priests, a holy nation, they will be His treasured possession. Notice what 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 calls us in the New Covenant. But you are my chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Two covenants. The old one established on Shabbat, 50 days after the Passover when the Israelites came up out of Egypt. And the prophets speak of God establishing a new covenant. And that new covenant was established on Pentecost, Shabbat. Fifty days after the Passover when Jesus came up out of the grave to free us from the wages of sin. Two covenants given on the exact same day. The day of Pentecost is the day of celebration when the Jews celebrated God giving them the law and making that covenant with them. That's why Jews from all over the known world were there in Jerusalem at that time. Two covenants given on the same day. And what's the difference between the two? Jesus. Jesus changes everything. Let me show you what I mean. Again, keep Acts marked. We're going to come right back to it. This time, if you would, go with me to the book of Exodus and go all the way back to Exodus chapter 32. 
We remember in Exodus 20, God is giving the law to the Israelites. When God came down on the mountain and the mountain shook and the trumpet got louder and louder and louder, the people became terrified and they basically said, Moses, you speak to us, but don't have God speak to us or we will die. And so in Exodus 21, all the way to Exodus 31, is Moses meeting with God up on the mountain and getting more instructions to share with the people. And so while Moses is up on the mountain with God, the Israelites, you remember, they get a little, they get a little restless. And so in chapter, chapter 32 and verse 1, it says that when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. Now, that's two things that God had just told them not to do. You shall have no other gods. You shall not make an image. And then look at the punishment. Look at the punishment that was given in verse 28 that came because of what they did. 3,000 of the people were killed by the sword that day. Now, flip back to Acts Acts chapter 2 and start with me at verse 36. Peter has been telling the people gathered on the day of Pentecost all about Jesus, how he is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. And when he finishes, he confronts the people with their sin. And he says in verses 36 and 37, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? They were guilty of killing the Son of God. What would their punishment be? But verse 38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized in every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 39, this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And verse 41, those who accepted the message were baptized and about 3,000 people were added to their number. Hey, you can call me a Bible geek if you want to, but when I see connections like this, I get excited. This is amazing. Two more verses and then we'll close. Turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, and look at the difference between these two events, these two covenants. Romans 8, starting at verse 1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So, so when you look at this, you see the law of of the Spirit who gives life, sets us free from the law of sin and death. In Exodus, the first law was given, and it was broken. Death came. The Israelites broke the commands of God. They made the false gods to worship them, and as a result of that sin, death came. 3,000 people died. The law of sin and death is simple. You sin, you die. But notice what happens in Acts. Sin is still present. The Messiah, God's Son, was killed. But instead of death, under this new covenant, there is grace. And 3,000 people were given new life. 
And the difference between the two is Jesus. Because Jesus changes everything. And then just one page back, last scripture, back to where we began and started. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I can't think of a more powerful illustration of that verse than what we've studied this morning. It is the story of two covenants given on the exact same day, but the difference between them is night and day. Actually, the difference is life and death. And the one who makes all the difference is Jesus Christ. Jesus changes everything. Do you know him? Do you know him? Let him carry the sins that bring death and let him give you instead the gift of eternal life. That's why he rose from the grave to conquer death and to give us life. And if you need to respond to him for any reason this morning, then please come forward and let us know while we stand and while we sing.